Jackie Miller, high conflict divorce coach and consultant, and your host of Out of Crazy Town, your guide to divorcing a narcissist. Michelle Delino, family law attorney from Seattle, Washington, joins me for this episode to discuss cooperative divorce. What is cooperative divorce? Well, it is a term that is not widely used yet, but it is the most common type of divorce. Michelle helps us to understand the many approaches to divorce and why cooperative divorce may be a good choice for you, even if you are divorcing a narcissist. All right. Hello, Michelle Delino. Thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Jackie. It's great to be here. It's I'm so glad that you could join. Um, I think this is a really great topic about cooperative divorce because the paths that divorce can take is so confusing. Yes. Um, and there is so much to it. And I watched a webinar that you did basically on different approaches to divorce on your website as well. Um, I, and there's just a lot to it, but first I want to tell everybody a little bit about you, um, sure. if you don't mind. So, okay. Michelle Delino. So you, your practice is up in Seattle and you have, you have multiple offices up there, but you are the managing attorney of the Delino law group. Your personal practice focuses on complex family matters, including high conflict cases, committed intimate relationships, because there are relationships that need to be dissolved that aren't necessarily marriage, correct? Correct. Some custody issues and whatnot. High asset dissolution, long-term marriage dissolution, cases involving business owners, IT and medical professionals, domestic violence, family law, and preparing cohabitation, prenuptial and postnuptial agreements, as well as estate plans. Um, and you're a full service family law firm. You have five attorneys in your law firm. Is that correct? Actually, we have six and we're ah. adding another next week. So wow, yeah, we really probably our goal is to be at 10, um, hopefully by early 2022. So that's, that's our plan, but we want to be really careful about the attorneys that we add. So we've been deliberate with our growth. I think, yeah. you know, being deliberate about growth and getting the quality of people is super important. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, I, I, I know I'm busy. This, this whole industry is really busy right now. Right. I mean, uh, right now, yeah. COVID has definitely put us in, in a whole nother position. Um, something fun. And you guys go her Michelle's website is delinolaw.com. Um, her bio is so awesome. I won't read the whole thing, but I, it's like the best bio ever. Then I read that your brother's head of marketing. Is that correct? Yeah, my, my, brother, my brother, Tony, um, he's my younger brother. Tony joined the firm in, I want to say fall of 2019. And he came on okay. first as a mark in a marketing role because Tony's background is in marketing. He did marketing for Sir Latab, Redfin, okay. a lot of places like that. Wow. And now um, he's not only director of marketing, but he's also the COO. So Tony and I sort of okay. deal with the day-to-day -day operations um, because, you know, you can't do everything by yourself. So it's yeah, yeah. Well, he's done a great job. Helping. If you yeah. have anything to do with this, it's so fantastic. You have four dogs. I'm a dog lover. Yay. So yes. That's awesome. Four dogs. Yep. Oh my gosh. It's a lot, but I love it. I love it. There's really, there's really no such thing as too many. Okay. So I have to, I have to divert before we get to the topic. This sure. is hilarious. So I'm reading Michelle's bio and it says, I love the Oxford comma one space after a period and load the appearance of contractions in writing. So I have to race over, look up what an Oxford comma is. And for <laughs> those of you that don't know, for instance, if you say I traveled to Spain, London, Seattle, and Los Angeles, it'd be Spain, comma, London, comma, Seattle, comma. That's the Oxford yes. comma right before the end. Yes, exactly. I was taught no comma. Yeah, a lot of people <laughs> were taught no comma, but think about it. If you were like, I had I had for breakfast toast 
orange juice and eggs, if you don't have a comma after the orange juice, basically it means orange juice and eggs together, which makes no sense. You're absolutely right. I swear. <laughs> so it drives me I crazy. I was taught that and it just like, oh, it grates on me. You're going to laugh. So there's a punchline to this. I read this. I go racing back to our emails. By the way, I've asked you to be on the podcast and you haven't responded yet. Oh boy, contractions everywhere. I'm a double spacer after the period. I go, oh, she's not going to be on my podcast. <laughs> she hates me. She hates me. <laughs> There's no way. I, you know, I, okay, let's just say legal <laughs> writing specifically and my personal writing. Other people, it's I'm immune to it. Don't worry. But seriously, I am checking things, not just to you now, but other, other things I've gotten rid of contractions. It's hilarious. So I'm sorry. I just had to get that out of the way before really we started true. talking. It is, it is. Okay, so- Back to our topic. I'm gonna, I wanted, I listened to your webinar, like I said, about different approaches to divorce. And I wanted to tackle this actually from talking about mediation first and all the different kinds, um, like you did yourself, because you sort of have to understand the landscape, right? right. Before you can compare it to others. Exactly. And the reason I want to start out talking about mediation first is because I, people come in, I'm sure, and say, I think I want to mediate. And I have other, this conversation with other attorneys. Right they don't understand that is a giant umbrella that means a thousand different things. Would you well, sort of- It could mean everything. Yeah. It could mean everything. Could you yeah. walk us through a little bit like why and what it is? Yeah, mediation. Okay, this is the, there's a lot of misconceptions about mediation too. Um, some people think if you want to mediate, you need to do a collaborative divorce. That's not true. Other people think if I want to mediate, I want to do it like immediately right away, like yesterday and have my case over. That is very rarely a good idea because there's things you need to do before then. So a mediation can be, there's lots of different kinds of mediation too. There's like a collaborative mediation, which is a series of meetings sitting around a table with everybody in one room. Mm -hmm. There is shuttle mediation, which is really the most common in my practice and most with most attorneys where a mediator shuttles back and forth between two rooms. And we can talk about that more later. Right, and then right. there's um, mediation, what, what I would call pro se mediation or in California pro per, mm -hmm. where people are not represented. They go to a mediator on their own. So they don't have legal counsel. And they're either all in the same room or they're in different rooms, however you do it now via Zoom. Sure. And they have a mediator trying to help them come to agreements, but they don't really have um, legal advice. Right. So there's all kinds of different ways mediation can be done. There's also mediation settlement conferences, which is just a short couple hour thing. Um, but you know, it can mean a lot of things to a lot of people. What people don't realize is that even if you are in um, a litigation case or maybe you've gone to court, you're still going to be required to mediate. It's just a question of when, unless right. there's violence. So if there's DV, you're not necessarily going to be required to do it, but um, you still may want to, because it might be a better way to go than trial. So sure. mediation can mean a ton of things. That's a great place to start. And the other part of not only meaning a ton of things, your mediator can be a ton of anything. Different. So yes, can't exactly. you, you, you can hire a mediator. That's just a mediator. Like that's what they do. Like they don't necessarily have a log background. No, they don't exactly. have a, um, they went yes. and got a certification to yep. be a mediator. Spot on. Um, a lot of my, my clients don't mediate with non-attorney mediators, but there are a lot of them. There's a ton of them. Um, some people will go and they'll get a certification that this is what they do. A lot of the time they might be a financial neutral. So they're right. good at bringing the parties together on finances and helping them look at finances. Sometimes it might be like a mental health provider. Sometimes they get into the mediation space. Interesting. Um, so it's really interesting. I think it's most effective when you're trying to settle a case to have an attorney mediator because that person, most attorney mediators, 
don't practice anymore. All they do is mediation, but they did practice. And so they are really, they can do what I like, which is called evaluative mediation. And as the case goes on, they evaluate the party's position and a mediator who's practiced family law for 30 years will say, this is my opinion on what's gonna happen if you don't settle and you go to court. And that is extremely powerful and it's extremely helpful. Using retired judges for mediation is another really good way to go. Sometimes it's more expensive, but it's super effective. So a lot of the time we'll do that. Um, But yeah, mediators can be all shapes and sizes, basically. Yeah. And it's, and I think that um, you really need to discuss, well, first of all, okay, so let's put this in the context of this podcast, which is about high conflict divorces, right? So out of crazy town, your guide to divorcing a narcissist. It's, um, I want to lay that landscape though, because you have to consider the personality of your divorce. I always call it the personality of your divorce. And yeah, if you're just kind of decided your marriage is over, but you're kind of, I don't want to say best buds, but you know, things, but you know, there are those divorces that are amicable. You can maybe get away with some of those other versions. I love what you said for those folks listening about high conflict divorce. Um, I had a retired judge because it was a very complex case. And that's usually how these high conflict end up very complex. (laughs) And this evaluative mediation, you're right. You kind of need someone in there looking at at both parties, regardless of maybe who the problem child is. This is what's going to happen. If you, you know, if you go to court and there does, there needs to be some incentive, but someone you really trust who's been there and seen it all and can tell you, you know, um, yeah, yeah. And especially too, just the cost perspective. Sometimes people, when you're in a high conflict situation, emotions are out of control, which is totally understandable. Mm -hmm. And maybe somebody that is a narcissistic um, power and control type person is really trying to control the situation. And they might need to hear from a third party, hey, this is going to cost you. It's not going to be any different and you need to stop. And maybe they weren't willing to hear that from their attorney or definitely not from the other party's attorney. And then sometimes someone who's feeling very emotional, not necessarily the narcissistic party they might both be emotional but the other party needs to hear we just need to bring an end to this and so maybe your desire to go to court and to be heard you can be heard here and it's a safe space for you to be heard in court you lose control over the outcome and it might not be any different so it can be really helpful but yeah yeah Yeah, it's okay so that is an excellent point because some people think with you know in high conflict situations that you just shouldn't mediate. It's got to be in court and it depends on what's going on. Right. I mean, some, sometimes I don't let you have a choice if the other side really is a problem child and that's their goal is to drag you through court. That's a scenario, but I did love it because you do get to be heard. And you know what? I admit that there was probably 90% of the little bit. I didn't do a lot of venting though, even in my own, but I tell people it did feel good to tell the mediator what I wanted to say. Totally. Whether or not it mattered, it w- that's never going to happen in court. And it's something I always sort of discuss with my clients. There's no emotional justice. In fact, almost the more you try to complain or put it in your um, declaration, it's backfires. Yes. Oh, that's so good, Jackie. That's so good that you tell your clients that because clients need to hear that. And, and a lot of the time there's the misconception that I'm going to get to go and sit in court and talk about every, every bad thing that ever happened. And the reality is a lot of that's not going to be admissible and it's going to reflect negatively on you and the court's not going to want to hear it. And it doesn't mean no one cares, but it's just not the place for it. And so 
clients, I, I think for a lot of clients, mediation is awesome because they get to be heard. They get to, one of my most favorite mediators that I like to use always says that she's an emotional strainer and filter. And so what she means is my client or the other party can say a ton of horrible things. She'll listen, she'll give her perspective, and then she'll go in the other room and she might communicate those points, but she'll do it in a filtered way that it's effective. So my client got to vent, and then the mediator got to go in the other room and say, hey, and, and drop the takeaways, but not do it in a way that's going to inflame the situation. So I just right. think it's a really important process. I settled a, me a case last week after a 11-hour mediation at a 46-year marriage. So you can imagine there was a lot to talk about there. And I wow. think that it was super important for both sides to be able to be heard and to not have to carry the stress of potentially going to court. So. Absolutely. And I also think that if it's a situation where you're really triggered by having your ex yeah. in the room yes. or whatnot. And especially now that it is zoom and like, like you were just um, describing, yes, it was, you know, they put us in our breakout rooms in zoom yeah. and now they, we weren't even in the same building, obviously, yeah. let alone that was a relief and, and allowed me. And I think other people to just even think and relax and then get their yeah. wits about them as they're sort of negotiating back and forth. And this is yeah. going to come all full circle as we actually eventually get to cooperative divorce. So yeah. all of that was a very important conversation, It was. but then will you talk? It. Yeah, it is because it's a huge part of it. Um, so will you talk about collaborative then? Let yeah, let me talk to... about collaborative and that'll get us to cooperative. So yeah, the collaborative, a lot of people think in theory, I want to do a collaborative divorce and it sounds great, right? Like we're going to collaborate on ending our marriage. It sounds really great. And for some people it is, I don't want to knock on the collaborative process. I've been through collaborative training. I've done right. collaborative cases, me too. but at the same time, collaborative divorce is not really for everyone. I, my opinion is it's not probably for most people if you're getting divorced, but it does work for some. The collaborative process is a very specific process. Um, in every state, at least in Washington and most of the other states I'm familiar with, there's actually statutory law that sets forth what the collaborative process is gonna be. And the way it works is you enter into a collaborative participation agreement and so does the other attorney. Both people have to, the other party, I'm sorry, both people and their attorneys have to opt into the process. And one once you're opted into the process, you have agreed that you're not going to go to court. You're not going to talk about going to court. You're going to be, you're not going to engage in discovery, which is how you discover information from the other party. You're going to assume that everyone's just going to provide it and be open and honest. And then you're going to form a collaborative team. Um, a collaborative team is figuring out who's on the team is usually how the collaborative process starts. The people that are always on the team are the two attorneys and the two parties that are getting divorced. And then there might be, um, a coach that's on the team, a parenting coach, um, um, if there's children or an evaluator, or there's usually a financial neutral on the team, there might be a realtor. There's a team of people that are going to work together to work on this divorce. And in theory, that sounds fabulous. But at the same time, then the next step is a series of meetings. So collaborative divorce will have the parties meet multiple times, um, figuring out the plan, figuring out how to act on the plan. And you have to be, just to Jackie's point earlier about being triggered by another party, you have to be okay with sitting in a room with your ex and all these people talking about things out in the open. And you have to trust that everyone's being open and transparent. Trust issues um, usually run rampant in divorce. So it, it, it's, I had somebody ask earlier just today in a, another forum that I'm in, well, what happens if the other party's not giving me financials? Well, 
you kind of don't have a way to get them and that's not good. So it's, it's just, it's a, it can be a long process as well. I've had other, other clients come to me that have been in the collaborative process for over a year. And because, yeah. you know, there can be a lot of meetings, five, six, seven meetings, and you have to coordinate all the professionals and parties to be present. So right. it's something that can take quite a while um, and it can yeah. be expensive. So, yeah. yeah. And just yeah. to spell that out even further, I mean, you're right. Just so people understand. So you're in this collaborative process, you feel pretty good that each side's going to turn over their information and then you get to a point and this is, you know, I'm kind of speaking out to the, you know, to the high conflict situations yeah. again, and you're sort of um, catching wind that there are, yeah, there's some LLCs, there's some company, there's some, maybe some stuff stock was sold. There's some, and it wasn't turned over by the other side. You cannot send subpoenas. You nope. cannot go in ex party and like, you know, motion to compel. No, all that's out the window. You're, you're just, you, yeah. you signed off that you're going to trust it. Yes, so, exactly. And, and like you said, if it doesn't good. <laughs> you bye bye attorney who I love and knows my case, like the back yep. of your hand, I've got oh, yeah, to hire somebody Let's else. drop that because people need to know that. Good point, Jackie. So when you enter into the collaborative process, everything has been out in the open. Everybody's chatting together and there's really not a lot of um, behind the door doors advice. So you agree that if you decide this isn't working for me and I need to go get that information. I need to potentially go to court or I need to take a different approach. You have to get a new attorney and start over. And your collaborative attorney does not have, even if they do both kinds of practice, like I do, they don't have the option to follow you on your case and to stay on your case. You'll have to get a new attorney. So very often I've had clients who have basically failed out or dropped out of the collaborative process and said, this didn't work for me and I got to start over. And so now they're back to square one with the new attorney. And they probably were working with that collaborative attorney for quite a while. So, yeah. it was, you know, it's a total do-over and that money is gone, that relationship yeah. is gone. It's really hard for people. So I think it's very important for collaborative practitioners and clients, everybody involved to see, is this a case that's really conducive to collaborative law? Right. There are some things that screen you out. Domestic violence, if there's DV, you can't do collaborative law. Like you don't qualify. Um, right. So that's important. Some people though, won't disclose it. And then an attorney will find out later, oh, there's a history of DV. No wonder there's no trust here. We shouldn't be here. So it's really important to yeah. be open and honest with your attorney when you're thinking about collaborative to determine are there power and control dynamics, which a lot of the times in non-conflict cases there are. And yeah. a lot of the time one party will just want to be so low conflict because they're tired of conflict. Yeah. So they might opt in. Some people even you know, want the more controlling party wants collaborative to happen because they feel like they can still have a voice and control the, the room. And right. that's never a good situation. Right. And then, and honestly, I know I hate to go down that path of like, watch out if they get real tricky, but it's true because then if you're locked in, you're feeling the pressure of not wanting to quit because all this money's gone down the tubes, but they're like, sorry, can't serve, can't, can't, can't serve subpoenas. Can't, you know, I, you just have to believe that information. Have to believe what I gave you. That's it. That's all you get. <laughs> okay. So let's move into cooperative then. And I love this because you and I had this conversation and this is why I really wanted you to come on the podcast because the next big chunk, you know, that we talk about usually in the divorce world is okay. Then there's litigation, but it's not, doesn't really have to be like that. And I let you actually said, and it, this is, sounds so simple. It's stupid on your webinar. It's the most used form cooperative, but it's what I did, but I didn't, honestly, I didn't know I had a title and I'm so glad because giving it a name helps you understand that because otherwise people go, Oh, litigation, 
I thought trial, like we're just all ignorant. We yeah. don't go through divorce every day. So no, what is and you shouldn't. And you no, shouldn't. and you should, yeah. thank God. No. Thank God. <laughs> it's a one and done for you. Yeah, exactly. Thank God. You do it with your work, but you yeah. don't personally go through it. So here's no. the thing. And people really need to get their minds around this. It's not just collaborative or trial. It yeah. is not. Most divorce cases, I can tell you this, my firm is, is a we litigate. That's what we do. But when what that means is there's two kinds of cases that fall under litigation. Um, full-on litigation where nobody collaborates at all in any way and cooperative. 90% of cases are solved cooperatively. What does that mean? I'll tell you what it means. It means that 90% of family law cases, maybe even more than that actually now, but let's just be safe and say 90%, probably nationwide of divorce cases never go to trial. And it does not mean that all that 90% are collaborative. Actually, hardly any are. Here's right. what cooperative means. Cooperative means both parties have attorneys or at least one does. Um, but usually both parties have attorneys and they agree, you know, I don't want to blow this up. I don't want to spend a bunch of money litigating because litigation costs time and money. I want to try and keep this low conflict um, if possible, but I want an advocate. And so both parties have attorneys that are not in the cooperative process and they agree that they're going to, I'm sorry, collaborative process. They agree they're going to cooperate through counsel. So Attorney A may say, hey, can you send me all of your, your client's financials and I'll send you mine and they'll agree on a deadline to do that by. If it doesn't happen, the attorney still has the option to serve subpoenas and discovery if they want to, um, you know, and so that can happen. Attorney B might say, here's what I think is going on with parenting. We don't agree on it. Can we agree to a guardian ad litem or a parenting evaluator? Attorney A says, yeah, let's decide who that's going to be. So that discussion is not necessarily in court with a motion, but the attorneys will try to work it out. If they can't, attorney A or B still has the option to say, hey, I'm going to go to court and resolve this for my client. Mm -hmm. Same thing with a temporary spousal support. If um, one party makes is the breadwinner and makes most of the money, the other party stays home, they need a new status quo while they move through the divorce process. So attorney A might say, my client needs money to live and your client needs to move out. Here's a proposal for how things are going to be temporarily for a temporary order. And attorney B will say, you know, I don't totally agree with that, but let's look at the financials and then they'll come back with another proposal and the attorneys will work it out. But if they don't, attorney A or B can still go to court if they need to. Mm -hmm. So it's a commitment to try and work things out, but also to leave all option, options open to the client. And then eventually um, a mediation happens like we were talking about earlier because right. mediation is required under every case schedule before you go to trial unless there's serious DV issues or one party is completely off the rails and high conflict and it's been waived. Right. Um, the parties go to mediation, but that mediation, when we used to do them in person, it would be me and my client in one room, other attorney and client in the other room. If, if it was really high conflict, we'd be on different floors. Mm -hmm. So nobody would ever have the chance of seeing the other one when they go to the restroom or get a coffee. So, yeah. um, and then the attorney goes, mediator goes back and forth. And I can tell you that many, many high conflict cases are settled in those kinds of mediations after back and forth between counsel. So the parties are shielded from the process and they never go to court. Yeah. So 90% of the time there's cooperation between the sides, leaving all options open. And the case never goes to trial, never goes to a motion hearing, never goes to court because frankly, both attorneys know that the other one could, and they're trying to work together. That yeah. happens. Yeah. 90% of the time. Exactly. So, and yeah. so, and like, so in, even in, um, high conflict cases, you're right. So you can, there's opportunities, right. For attorneys to talk back and forth. Yeah. Um, hopefully, like you said, most cases, it doesn't actually end up in a trial. 
doesn't mean you're not going to be in front of a judge sometimes. I mean, right. Things flare up. And I, I was just ha- talking with a client this morning because she's like, Jackie, all the lingo, what does this mean? What does that mean? And by the way, on my website, JackieMillerCoaching.com in my blog, I actually just put together a lingo. So go oh, there. Awesome. I'm going to send that to clients. They need that. <laughs> yeah. I'm adding to it like daily. Um, but, and also too, because you're, you know, California, we have slightly different lingo. And yeah. so I'm trying to add in all the, all the different things, but just so people know. So if there really is an emergency situation, we go an next party and that's like within 48 hours, usually you go in if you really need the judge to rule on something. Okay. Still doesn't mean you're going to trial. Um, if there's another issue where it can wait, but it is still important, you can do a request for order RFO. I'm not sure what you call, you know, call it in Washington, but yes. So you might end up in front of the judge and they might rule on that one issue, but you're still working things out. So you, and you doesn't mean you're going to go to trial. So doesn't necessarily mean you're not going to be in front of the judge, especially when it's high conflict, but there's still always hope. Exactly. That's a great point. I mean, I have an example, like just today, a client reached out to me about something that happened. And I said, okay, if we don't get a resolution on this today, then on Monday, we're going for an immediate restraining order and we'll go in ex parte. And ex parte means that you go in without setting a hearing. It's an emergency. You're asking for immediate relief. And we have the option to do that. Even though we have never gone to court so far, we probably will on Monday if it doesn't get resolved today. So I'm able to tell the other attorney, hey, we need to resolve this or I'm going to court on Monday and I'm giving you notice that I'm going to appear in the afternoon. And so that's very common. In a cooperative case too, you know, if like to go back to Jackie's example earlier about subpoenas and I was talking about discovery, if we don't get the financials we want and they still don't produce them, I can go to court and I probably will and ask for a motion for the court to compel that information. And then my client probably gets attorney's fees. Once we get the documents, we're back on track and then that's it. But it's a big difference between going to court for an ex parte hearing or a motion hearing and going to trial. And my client's probably still not going to trial because we'll probably settle it in a mediation. So it's a totally effective and I think efficient way to deal with your case. You have all the options open to you, but your end goal is still not to go through a lengthy and expensive trial. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's honestly why I love what I do because what we just described could happen and especially in a high conflict case, all of those scenarios can occur and it is an emotional roller coaster. And like we talked about, keeping emotion, which is the most difficult part out of it is so paramount. And so I'm not a therapist. I don't provide therapy, but what I do is I, we constantly sit down and reevaluate what happened. We um, take a look at the, we look at if it's possibly an opportunity, it looks like a setback, isn't an opportunity. Um, Let's brainstorm on strategies. It's something you can take to your attorney at your next meeting and say, I thought of this, I thought of that. And just sort of keeps you focused, moving forward, Um, vent to me, your attorney's, I guarantee you is a lot more expensive than I am. So, um, you know, you know, and, and so I know, but like you've mentioned, um, when I listen to your webinar as well, keeping the emotion out of it this whole time, what other tips do you have? It's so hard to do. And that's why someone like Jackie is so valuable because I tell my clients, there's a big thing about how expensive divorce is. And it is, this is an expensive process, but those costs can be reduced for you if you look at how you are using your attorney time. And I I, I say this with the most care and compassion because I love my clients. I wanna talk to them, I wanna help them, but paying an attorney's hourly rate to vent about things that I can't necessarily do anything about and that are not really related to legal strategy, that's much better spent with a coach like Jackie or with a therapist if you're dealing with mental health issues or, or just stress. It's yeah. so much better spent in a different arena because right. 
I can listen to you and I can offer advice, but that's not the best usage of your money. So a lot of times I think the average cost of divorce just skyrockets because people don't have that other resource. And I think good tips too for keeping your costs low and really dealing with emotions are keeping a journal during your divorce and really keeping track of what's going on. And then if you need to tell your attorney, great, you can send it all together in one blurb rather than a bunch of emails that are generating a ton of back and forth. You can go through it with a divorce coach like Jackie first and say, what do we really need to pare down to here? What are my issues with everything that's been going on? And then you can get a lot more concise with what you bring to your attorney. So there's that, which is really helpful. And also to making sure that you have a strong support network, um, you know, and that people know what you're going through, like your best friends should know, your family should know. That doesn't mean that you want to tell everyone everything and post it on social media, because that's not a good idea. Right. Not a good idea. Not a good idea. But at the same time, be sure that you have your core group of people that know. I've had clients before that were ashamed or they didn't want anyone to know, and that puts more pressure on them. So talk to someone like Jackie, talk to, you know, have your therapist, have your coach, have your close friends, and have an outlet for physical exercise too is another way to regulate emotion. Absolutely. Before Get you call outside. Me and, yep. Before you call me and tell me everything that just happened, unless it's an emergency, go outside for a walk and then see if you still feel how you feel in a half an hour, things yeah. like that. Yeah, I think absolutely. Helpful. And I'm, and uh, yes, please get a therapist. I mean, and especially back again to the high conflict divorce. And, uh, you know, I say that more often now than not in high conflict personality, because I don't have a degree to, uh, um, to diagnose people with narcissistic personality disorder. And I know we all use the word, Um, but if your ex has those traits, it's likely then you've been enduring some form of abuse um, during your marriage. And once the divorce starts, usually that abuse kicks into gear like tenfold. It is um, a whole nother animal because they might have the scorch, the earth mentality. And a therapist, you need one to help deal with that trauma that existed in the past, Um, you know, absolutely. So I just always like to say that just sort of, I love helping people with the whole process and there's definitely emotion tied into it, but, and you have a therapist that sort of collaborates in your practice, right? Uh, Melissa Rosenberg? Yeah, Melissa. Melissa's great. Melissa has her own therapy practice. It's betteryouseattle.com. And Melissa is a fantastic resource because a lot of the times what I'll do is I'll, and she focuses on relationships and relationship transitions. She does couples work. So obviously her goal is usually that you not get divorced, which I think is nice. But at the same time, if you are going through a relationship transition, Melissa focuses on divorce ambivalence counseling, which is like, I don't know what I should do. And I need to do a deep dive into just me, myself, whether I need to continue in this relationship or not. It helps with the ambivalence. Melissa also does discernment counseling, which is a traditional kind of counseling for a couple to do and decide, are we going to, the whole point of the the therapy is to decide, are we going to end the relationship or are we going to make a commitment to stop talking about divorce and really move forward? So she does all of those things. She also works with other clients on non-relationship issues, but I like to be able to say, hey, everything you're talking to me about, I've given you all the legal options. And so we can keep talking about this for a few more hours, but it's costing you an insane amount of money and you really are ambivalent about what to do. So go and talk to a therapist. And then during a case, someone like Jackie can say, I can say, 
you've got a lot of stuff you're bringing to me. Why don't you go work with your coach on that and really figure out, let's boil down to what the issues are and, you know, go through all of that stuff before you bring it to me. It's just so much more effective. So, yeah, Yeah. I mean, I think therapists and coaches are great for that because you guys do things that I can't do. There's only so much you can do. Right, 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 right. We just admit that. Some attorneys don't admit that. I can. Yeah. Well, and we want to make better clients for you, but, uh, you know, and we want them to be better clients so that they can, yeah, just keep moving forward. The whole point is just keep it moving forward with, you know, as least amount of drama as possible and trauma. And yeah, and that's, that's my whole goal. So what um, advice do you have for questions to ask for people that are um, coming to, you know, that are pretty sure it's going to be high conflict. They're coming here. Like I'm, you know, I was afraid to leave and get prepared. And the ways that you want to do that, I think are first you have, you should have, you should have your resources ready. And one is emotional resources. Like we just talked about who is your emotional support team. You need to know that some people, the average person thinks about divorce for about two to two and a half years before they do anything. And the reason why is because they're scared of high conflict. They don't want to go ahead because they don't want to deal with it. And, you know, and so if you know, you're going down that road and you kind of, you, you deserve a better life. So you don't want to stay in a relationship that's bad for you, but get yourself, get your resources ready, get your emotional support team ready, um, get a coach, get a therapist, get um, an outlet for what you're going to do to take care of yourself, focus on self-care, doing those things is important, letting your friends and family know what's happening so you have support. Second thing is financial resources. Figure out how you're going to pay for the support you need. I tell every client that you need three things. You need to trust me and trust that I know what's going on. And I need to trust you that you're being honest with me. So trust needs to go both ways. Second thing is communication. Find um, an attorney that you can communicate with. Like if you, you could trust your attorney, but if you're just not comfortable communicating with them, then your relationship's going to fail because communication is number one. Like I, my clients don't have to want to hang out with me and have a glass of wine, but they do need to respond to an email when I send it to them. Cause I only have part of the story. Or if you are somebody that, and let your attorney know the kind of communication you want. If you're somebody that's a phone person, like I have some clients, they don't email, which is strange to some, but it's, it's reality for others. And so I need to call them if I need to talk to them. So make sure your attorney is going to pick up the phone and call them or to tell them to check email. I need to be able to text them and say, Hey, we just got something important. Please look at it. So make sure that you have a communication style with your attorney that works. Um, And then the third thing, what I was originally talking about was cost, have your financial resources in, in order. And if you don't have access to the money and the other spouse does, Make sure that your attorney knows that up front so they can seek attorney fees for you if they need to. Or if you are the person that has the resources, make sure that you talk to an attorney about what, you know, who's going to pay fees for both sides and what's going to happen. But if I tell clients that if you don't have trust and communication and you can't afford the representation financially or know how you're going to afford it, the whole representation and stress for you is going to be about money. And this is one of the most important processes that you're ever going to go through in your life. A a marriage is the most complicated legal contract that you didn't know you were signing when you signed one piece of paper. So So well said. It totally is. I mean, it's something that people do and don't think about what it means, but it's, it's super involved. So you have to be ready to say, I am financially and emotionally invested in this process. And if you can't afford it and you've gotten representation, you can't pay for, you're just going to be focused on that. And that's, you know, I tell clients like, we're not a financial institution. If you need to borrow money, we can talk to you about how to do that, but we don't lend. So, so you have to figure that out. I mean, and that's just the reality of the situation. 
And then you look at ways like Jackie and I have been talking about to keep your costs reasonable during the representation by using other resources. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. And and the other thing I want to point out because I loved when I was looking at your bio that you were criminal trial uh, attorney, right? Yeah. Correct. Yeah, um, and I love my personal attorney that I had because she was like a corporate litigator before she went right. to family law and went went through her divorce and chose family law. But because I think it's so important if you like an attorney or you think that you're liking, they are super committed. Let's go back to the cooperative divorce, super committed to getting you through this process without going to trial. But if you do, you yep. want them to nail it. <laughs> you want them to know what they're doing. That's the other thing too in family law. I'm so glad you brought that up. Um, some family law means a lot of different things to a lot of people. And that's why when we, we hire attorneys at our firm, we explain the kind of family law we do, which means we go to court when we need to. There are some family law attorneys that have never seen the inside of a courtroom ever, and they're terrified of it. And you don't want to be the one case that they're stuck taking a trial. Um, yeah. You want to be with an attorney and a firm where you we go to trial. And yeah, my background was first in criminal law. And so I chose criminal law. It was either going to be criminal or family. And I chose criminal because I was like, it's because it, I thought at the time as a new attorney, it's the only way I can go to court because a lot of people don't go to court in other areas. And then I realized, no, there's family attorneys that go to court. And so now we do criminal, but we do it under the umbrella of family because a lot of the time, unfortunately, there might be a assault case that's part of why divorce is happening, sure. you know? Or sure. there might be a DUI because there's substance abuse issues. And so we can help you with all those things. But you want an attorney that knows how to go to court, that is yeah. comfortable with that. And, you know, it might, doesn't mean it's happening for you, but you don't want to have to switch attorneys because your attorney says, oh, I thought your case was going to settle. And, you know, trial's not my thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. And um, I'm glad you brought that up specifically about your practice as well, because I um, other coaches in that I'm uh, my colleagues in Seattle, I've given your name because and high conflict, yeah, DV comes up, um, yeah. you know, more often than we'd like to admit. It or, does, or... and it comes up in all socioeconomic backgrounds. I mean, all areas, yeah. you know, Seattle is a super, um, we have a lot of people that work in corporate jobs, tech jobs, and DV is not, no one's immune from DV. It right. happens. And so sometimes we might have a client that has a divorce. They have, they have a need for a domestic violence protection order. Um, and maybe, you know, there might even be a criminal charge. It's hard to say. So there can be multiple things going on and you yeah. need to make sure that you have someone that understands DV or substance abuse or mental health issues. Sometimes a parent might be seriously, um, you know, have mental health issues and that needs to be addressed. And that can be sure. something that has to come up in a parenting plan. So yeah. it's important to have a holistic picture on what you're looking at and where you're going. Cause your case could be high conflict for a ton of different reasons. Right. So figure out what those reasons are. Is it a totally just a narcissistic spouse? Is it substance abuse? What is it? Figure out what it is and make sure that you're going somewhere we can get help with that. Yep. And that is going to be the personality of your case. Yes. Um, okay. I noticed, tell me if I'm wrong. You have a webinar coming up next week. I is do. that correct? Next yeah, Wednesday. Um, everything you need to know about child custody next Wednesday at 1 PM. Yep. So if you go to delinolaw.com and then you go to your resource tab and then you'll see webinars. Yep. It looks like you were, okay. I saw that. I thought I'd let people exactly. know because I think I might need yep. to have you back soon. And we're going to talk about custody <laughs> another time. I love, I love talking about custody because it's the thing about custody too, is it's, if you have children, it's probably, unless you already agree on parenting, which doesn't happen a lot, 
it's probably the most important thing in your divorce. The money's important, but your yeah. kids come first. And a lot of the time, um, you can't really work out other issues until you work out the parenting. Yeah. So custody is, is huge. Yeah. We awesome. have a webinar coming up to go over basically the ABCs of custody, everything you need to know. Um, and I think there is not enough information uh, out there, which sounds ironic because everything's on Google, but there's really not enough honest information about what to have, what's going to happen if you're dealing with a custody fight. Absolutely. Okay. Well, I'm going to try to be on that. <laughs> and thank you so much. So everybody, okay. Cooperative divorce. Now, do you understand it is, it's an option in high conflict. I really believe that Michelle believes that, um, yes, we know that, you know, litigation of, or trial, I should say almost really happens, but hopefully every, everyone understands that more that you can get through the process. I think with the right attorney, hopefully, and, um, really be committed to try to get it without, without. Being Absolutely. Divorced. Yeah. Cooperative divorce. If you don't know that term, you're going to know that term because I'm, it's be used more and more. Trust me. Yes. I'm on a mission. Yes. To like get that word out. I think I just, yes. I just think it's so helpful for people, for people to it understand is. that different it that is. landscape. Yeah. So thanks so I, much for the time, Jackie. This has been great. Thank you. I have one last question that yeah, ask I ask almost every guest, if I don't forget, <laughs> what do the folks out there that are going through a high conflict divorce, what do they have to look forward to when they get to the other side? Oh. I love that question. Nobody asks that. You you have a new whole new life. Divorce can be a transformative experience and it will be. It might be painful whether you want the divorce or not, but if you're in a high conflict divorce, you're going to feel like a weight is lifted off your shoulders. You're going to feel like you're in charge of your life. You're in charge of the decisions that you make and a whole new world is really going to open up to you because if you have a high conflict divorce, you probably had somewhat of a high conflict marriage and you're going to feel liberated when it's over and your decisions are going to be your own. So you have got a whole lot of good things coming to you. And I tell people this because it's so true, especially in a high conflict case. A high conflict divorce is a marathon. It is not a sprint. Yes. Everybody wants that band-aid ripped off and wants to run the 50 meters and be done. It doesn't work like that to get the best results in a high conflict case. It's going to take time. But when you get to the end of that marathon, you cross the finish line and you have a lot of good things coming to you. Absolutely. Oh, the mental space and the whole new life. And I was actually just on a last night with a therapist or two night, last night, two nights ago <laughs> anyway. And she was talking about PTSD. And then she said, but over 75% of people have post-traumatic growth. And yes. there's a huge growth that happens once you get out of those situations. And yes, thank you so much for that feedback. Cause oh, you're right. Yeah. There's, You're there's, right. it's possible. About the there's growth. hope. Yeah, there's that's hope. right. There is hope. Hope and security are the two things that you need going through divorce. You need hope yeah. that it's going to be okay. And I trust me, it is. And you need security to know I'm safe during this process. So if yep. you have those things, you're going to be okay. Awesome. Oh, thank you so much, Michelle. Okay. Thanks. We will right. talk to you soon. I hope. All right. Sounds great. Thanks, Take Jackie. care. Okay. Bye-bye.